Welcome to another episode of Mick and Ori's Classic Cars. I'm Mick. And I'm Ori. And we welcome back Adrian Mussolino. Uh, we spoke about Formula One with Adrian, who's writing a book about the Formula One, but we're on touring cars. Well, that's his day-to-day job, isn't it? It is a day-to-day job, yes. And what you actually what do you actually do, Adrian? Uh, so I put together the pro event programs for supercars. So if you went to the Adelaide 500 last year, the program, I, I put that all together and... Uh, yeah, currently working on the 2021 program, so that's the that's the day job, yeah. Okay, so if we're talking about supercars, just for our overseas listeners and that, we're talking about touring cars, so generally it's the local cars, they were traditionally the local Australian-made cars um, that would do races all around Australia, now they're called supercars. Now, Adrian, the early days of the touring cars... What, was it the Australian cars or what was it? No, and that's what's – it's funny. It's gone full circle because initially it was imported cars. You know, you had Jaguars, won the first few Australian Touring Car Championships. So that's back in uh, – The 60s, early 60s. And it was a championship decided by one race. So the – sorry, the uh, – back – you said Jaguars. What were the Mark Twos? What were yep, the – Yep, Mark One, Mark Twos. Um, so you had um, a single race that decided the whole Australian Touring Car Championship in the early 60s. So they didn't, they didn't go state to state to state no, like they do? just one race for the first, uh, I think it was four or five championships, and then um, that was the whole championship. Yep. And where was that, Adrian? Uh, that went everywhere. Sort of, you know, there was one at Bathurst, there was one in uh, Queensland, you know, one in New South Wales, and then almost like a Grand Prix, if you like, an Australian Grand Prix. And then later in 1969, they go to a multi-round championship, which is what we know today. So initially it starts as, you know, Jaguar Mark 1s, Cooper, Minis, and, you know, Anything. Um, anything. Did they have, they have the Mustangs? Did well, that came in later, late 60s, early 70s. Then they started importing American muscle cars. So that's when you had the Mustangs come in, the Camaros, and that they really started to dominate. Any on the Dodge side? Not really, no. It was more Mustang Camaros, which was the real battle. And that's, you know, funny where we find ourselves for 2022. That's what it'll be, Camaros against Mustangs. And um, so you went from, you know, imported cars to Australian-made cars back to imported cars. And, you know, that's the reality now with the demise of the Australian automotive industry. But, um, yeah, it was it was fascinating year back then. And then the muscle cars come in and dominate. So the Mustang wins a whole bunch in a row. And then you start seeing the local stuff come in. So the local stuff being Ford, Holden, Holden Monaros. So Holden's first championship was with the Monaro in 1970. Then the Falcon starts coming, and the rules changed to suit the Australian touring car, Australian cars. So it made it difficult for the imported cars. They it? basically were sort of you know banned basically, so you couldn't really run the the Mustang and thing. And that's when you move into the 70s, and that's when the Falcon Tirana. Battle really so, starts. So those early days, there were no rules. It could be any car. There were rules, but it was very, um, you know, you had different classes and structures, so you could turn up with whatever. And if you had, depending on your engine size, you'd be in a certain class. No, but that one race to the one race one. Yep, could be any car. Basically, performance car. Yeah. A- and Adrian, the cars that they prepared for racing, because we've talked about tracking cars and things like that, they would roll up to the race, they'd drive it from yeah, interstate. Absolutely. They would literally have license plates, those early cars that you'd see, and, and they would, you know, drive them to the tracks. And that was their test. What do you mean? The cars that were actually going to be racing drove to the yep, track. Absolutely. And that became a thing, you know, driving to Bathurst, well, you know, you'd drive. From, you know, say if you were from Melbourne, you'd drive along the highways. So you're you know, telling me Peter Brock would drive? He would. From the Holden dealer factory, he would drive to Bathurst and 
tested out and you know there's lots of stories about you know putting his foot on the throttle and you know testing out the engine and things and yeah um and if you look at those early bathurst winners they have license plates from wherever they were from and um they were proper proper road cars and you know that's really what touring cars is all about you know what we've got now has moved so far beyond that but it really was about just performance cars so those are the ones that you know win a race on sunday still the car on monday that was true back then i suppose yeah absolutely especially when we moved into the australian made cars that started to win and the tiranas and the falcons and that's when really australian touring cars starts to dominate Australian motorsport. Don't know. forget the Valiant Charger. I know it Valiant didn't win Charger, one, yeah, absolutely. It yep. was apparently one of the fastest cars not to win. Yep, absolutely. And then, you know, in the early 70s, it got to the point where there was almost, you know, pressure from politicians to say, these cars you're producing, which are road cars, are just, you know, the performance is not suitable for the road. So they started scaling it back. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. And that's what you have, why Holden and Ford are so loved in this country is because of that era. You know, whatever Brock raced and won at Bathurst, you know, you could go then buy the next day. So no roll cages. I mean, it had to have safety features, surely. Very primitive, very primitive. And um, it wasn't until, like with a lot of motorsports, not until more recent times where they actually took safety as a priority. Actually, now you say that, remember we saw Peter Brock's old Commodore up at the bend a few months back that actually had the dashboard still in there. Yeah, yeah the actual car. so yeah. that's when it was more for the actual original dash and yep. center console and things like that. Yeah. So the cars would come from the factory and they would just you know deck it out, you know, suspension shocks, you know, engine bits and things. But it was essentially a road car. But I can't believe they picked up from the factory and just drove it to the track. I don't no trucks, no. Yeah, yeah, well, we've talked about that sort of thing before. Like Ferraris back then used to, you know, you buy your two fifty GTO or whatever, you you drive it during the day and take it to the track and win a race. Yeah, so they they were track cars, but for the road. I mean, you could you know interchange them. It wasn't really until the seventies when it became more of a professional sport and money started coming in that they would you know invest in trucks and things and you know, take a spare car or things like that. But it was still you know absolutely it's just road cars, hotted up road cars. Which really, is- this was the marketing arm for Ford and Holden. Yeah, because this is how they advertise that their vehicles. Hence, why you say you know win on a Sunday, buy on a Monday. That's when the dealerships really went nuts. So it was their marketing arm. It's all their marketing dollars that were spent on the racetrack. Yeah, if you think of Peter Brock, you think Holden. And uh, yeah. you think the Tirana, you think the Commodore. If you think of Alan Moffat, you think you of think Ford, Ford, Falcon, uh, Dick Johnson, Falcon. It was just so intertwined. And that's why uh, Australian Touring Cars and Bathurst becomes the most popular form of motorsport. You know, and you think, of, and that's why, you know, we, you, if you think of a Vern Schupen who won Le Mans, he's probably not as well known as a Peter Brock or a Dick Johnson because our focus was always on what was happening here in Australian touring cars. Local cars. We would forget what was going on in Europe. It was sort of almost, you know, it wasn't until the 80s and 90s when it became more of a thing that we recognised what people were doing overseas. And um, you think of Larry Perkins, he raced Formula One, but we think of him as a Bathurst winner. Yeah, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know Larry Perkins won uh, Formula One. Uh, he didn't oh, sorry, win, but not race. Drove, yeah, so he drove yeah he, he raced in the 70s, yeah. Yeah, so the early days of, you know, we call them the touring cars or, you know, the supercars, you had the Lotus Cortinas race, you had the Minis. They were still in the era when they had the Holdens and Fords. They had a couple of categories though, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. So you had based on engine size, you know, different classes and things. So you would have, you know, your little sort of Ford Escorts winning, you know, Class B or Class C 
and you know they'd be racing against the Commodores and Falcons which you know as part of my job I've got to watch some of those old races and it's just crazy to watch you know the differences in speed at Bathurst especially you'd see you know Peter Brock lapping four or five cars at one time down the straight it's the variety that really made it so special and and that's you know as you said it's just such variety of cars engine sizes and um anyone could turn up and race basically so, so what was it co- sorry me what was it called was it t- what were they first known as so was, was it, it touring cars Australian touring car championship then and then it became V8 supercars in like the late 90s V8 supercars so, v8 so supercars. only V8s that could compete that, yeah but that's when they banned the likes of yep, the absolutely that so the GTRs until for most of its time the Australian touring car championship was open to anyone so initially you'd have the imported cars then you'd have the local cars 70s and 80s you'd have the Falcons and Commodores then in the mid 80s they opened it up to international rules what was called Group A and that's when you had the Jaguar XJS you had the Volvos you had the BMWs come in you know it just became a sort of um, free-for-all for international manufacturers the Ford Sierra then starts to dominate in the 80s and then the Nissan GCR Skyline comes along and just destroys the competition yeah well that was an all-wheel drive vehicle all-wheel drive just every gizmo you'd want it just they'd add weight to it to try and slow it down it didn't work and then you just they just dominate so it got to the point where the rule makers thought we've got to do something here we're going to ban this international group a we're just going to make it ford and holden falcon commodore and really that's what we've had for the last you know 20 or so years um v8 powered falcon commodore but it as it got on, it moved further and further from the road cars to the point. If you look at a modern supercar, there's not much of a road car there. Yeah, they even yeah they just completely shelled. Yeah, and then they got the you know specific motor. And yep. So when the XA, the Moffat XA Falcon XB, John Goss specials, and all those went around Bathurst and things like that, was that Ford Holden back then though? It was they sort of dominated but you'd still have other manufacturers in, in there that, so okay. you know, you'd have the sort of the valiance and the chargers and then bmw comes in and mazda comes in with the rx7 for That's a right. bit and yep. wins a championship and then the international rules come in in 85 and then it's you know just a sort of you buy a car from a europe and, you know, you can dominate. And that's where the Ford Sierra was just like nothing. So then we go to V8 supercars. And then after V8 supercars, we just go to supercars. Yeah, because the plan was that they're going to move away from V8s, thinking that they're going to... What happens then? So from uh, 93 to 2012, it was Holden Ford only. So you had to run a Falcon or Commodore and that was it. So from 2012, they realised that probably, you know, Holden Ford are coming to an end, sort of Australian manufacturing's in question. They open it up to the manufacturers. Nissan and Volvo come in. AMG sort of comes in with a privateer team who bought a couple of Mercedes cars to develop. And then they come and go. And you're left with Ford and Holden again. So they drop the V8, but there's never really been any other engines. They, you know, It was a way to sort of try and get other manufacturers something they're still trying to do. But it's hard work. It's, it's become Ford and Holden only to the point where other manufacturers really look at it and go, well... What are we getting from being here? So then, and we in Adelaide had the Clipsal Adelaide 500, so that was the V8 supercars, yep, yeah? Yep, uh, We had all, only V8, so from 99 was the first Adelaide 500, um, and the V8 era was 93. Okay, so then we only had V8s. We only had V8s. We hosted the first race of the, what was called the new generation Car of the Future cars in 2013 with the Nissans 
and the AMG and then the Volvo came in. But, yeah, they came and went. So now that's finished, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty much. It's just um, so, you know, for 2021, it's Holden Commodores and Ford Mustangs. And then from next year, the Holden teams will switch to a Camaro. Yeah, and the Ford Mustang, I mean, they've done it for now a couple of years, haven't they? Yep. So Camaro V Mustang. It's back to the future and that's back. what it was in the 60s. Fantastic. Yeah. So where it all started. Yeah. But so we don't get a race here in Adelaide. No, that's sadly long gone and um, it's an end of an era. Yeah. An end of an era for us. Yeah. yeah and, and it's a shame because we would have had the first race of the Camaro and that's, you know, if you look at the 60s, it was, you know, Bob Jane and a Camaro against Alan Moffat and a Mustang. So it's... It's going back to what it was. It's a it's a shame because obviously it's no longer Australian cars, but it's you know the way it is. You know you can't race Falcons and Commodores forever when they just aren't being made anymore. You you mentioned Bob Jane, and you were lucky enough to interview him before he passed. Does he bring? Did he talk about those times? Those early yeah, days it, racing those pre- cars. Pretty incredible because everyone thinks of Bob Jane as the you know Bob Jane team arts, but he was a pretty incredible driver. You know, winning Bathurst multiple times and you know, winning the Australian Touring Car Championship. He won it in a Jaguar. He won it in a Camaro. Pretty incredible driver. But, um, yeah, it's just – it's amazing how it's going back to what it was. And the pinnacle race is Bathurst, of course, yeah. with the both the touring cars and the the supercars. Now, back then, was that just part of one of the rounds? No, so Bathurst was its own event separate from the championship for years. So it was typically at the end of the year in October, November – um, so the Australian Touring Car Championship started as one race, then it became three or four, five or six, then it grows from there. It wasn't until 99 that Bathurst is part of the championship as it is now. So it's incredible that for all its years, um, it just wasn't part of the championship. It sort of stood on its own two feet. And for most of those drivers, they would have preferred a Bathurst to a championship. And um, I would do a lot of work with Craig Lowndes because he's a columnist for the magazine I work for. And he's probably one of the last drivers that will tell me he'd rather a Bathurst win than a championship win. Whereas a lot of the modern drivers, the winner bottoms and win cups, they'd rather a championship than a Bathurst because it's it's changed and it's become more prestigious. But Bathurst was an endurance race, more, yep. more or less, yep. correct? It, it That's started why. as the Bathurst 500, 500 miles, then they got 1,000 kilometres in 73, and then it's been 1,000 kilometres since, so two drivers per car. And, yeah, it's... um. You know, it's, it's a bit odd that it's part of the championship because your championship could rest on your co-driver, you know, whether he does a good enough job yeah, or crashing or whatever he does. But, um, so yeah. Bathurst is only one car. One car, two drivers per car. So it really, in winning the championship, but you've won it with a pair of drivers yeah, in I, the Bathurst. Yeah, That's why it, I agree. It, it shouldn't it, be part of the It's a bit complicated. I, I still... I think it should stand on its own, but I can see why they want it as part of the championship because it sort of adds to the prestige. It's the one race of the year that people pay attention to. It's the Melbourne Cup. It's the the Grand Prix of supercars. And if it's their concern was that the championship would be won and no one would remember who the champion was and then you'd have a Bathurst and everyone would say, well, that's the true champion. So their thinking was we'll have it on the same day. Sometimes last year was the season finale. So you had this sort of weird situation of lucky the championship was decided, otherwise you'd have a champion be decided and then a Bathurst winner. So who's the more prestigious? Who's of the you know two. getting the headlines if yeah. you like? So and, and the James Hardy One Thousand was that? Is that? Yep, that was Bathurst. That was so Bathurst. it went through okay. a few different sponsorships. Um, more recently, Super Cheap Auto, which is now ended. It's going to be the Repco 
Bathurst 1000 from this year. So it sort of all went through a few different sponsors, but yeah, it's that's the so that 1, would be one of that would be the oldest Australian endurance race. Yeah, absolutely. It, it goes back to it started at Phillip Island and then it moved to Bathurst in '63, and it's been there ever since. And, and the, um, the Australian crowd absolutely love the Bathurst. It's the one event I've covered multiple motorsport events around the country and in Asia and even in America I did the Indy 500 and um, Bathurst is still one where you, it feels special yeah have you ever been to a Bathurst never been to a Bathurst but people camp out it's, I've actually it's driven crazy. the Bathurst track uh, track um, yeah because it's a road some, circuit yeah I got taken around by John Bow in a supercar there and um, pretty that, quick that was incredible and I remember I got to drive and I did. I drove first, and then John Bow drove second. And I said to him, "Why did we do it in that order?" And he goes, "Because if you saw what I did, you'd think you could do it." That's a good point. So John Bow, I mean, he's had one. How many Bathurst? Uh, he's won two. He's won two With Bathurst, apart from you know the supercars and the touring yep. car rounds. And he's won a championship. Yeah. So you actually drove. It was actually a supercar, a touring uh, car. It was a hotted up supercar, not an you know an official V8 supercar, but it was um, at a ride day, and it was. Pretty incredible. It was. It's so narrow. It's undulating through the it's, hills. It's incredible. It's a long. It's a long track too. Yeah. It says, and every year we've done it. I've done it since two thousand and seven, and every year we'll go up top of the mountain. Some of my colleagues and I, and just sort of watch one of the sessions. And it's um, it's incredible. The crowds and the, the, the it's unlike anything in Australia. Yeah. And going, going back to your drive experience, uh, you know, with John Bow as a driver, mm. as a navigator, I suppose. Now, your lap time compared to his oh, was about I, the same, I, wasn't it? I didn't even record it because it was so embarrassing. I didn't even go full throttle. It was He would tell me, you can go a lot, you can push a lot harder than this. It's just, it didn't, I just didn't have it in me. Yeah. You could feel, and I remember when I was a passenger, I could just feel my stomach sort of going up and down as he was sort of, you know, through the hills and, you know, up Conrad Strait. It was just incredible. I, I, I remember coming out of the car going, how do they pass each other on this track? I just don't. Is it's it so narrow. narrow. It, it, because it sort of funnels through, it feels a lot narrower than it is and um, it's an incredible track and it's an event that, yeah, if you can, you, you have to do it once, yeah. And he still drives in the Masters, doesn't he? Yeah, he won his 100th Touring Car Masters race recently. So he's still, still going strong in uh, – he drives a little Tirana, a V8-powered Tirana. So he's one of those drivers who just will never stop. <laughs> Have and you had any other driving experiences with other I've had V8 supercar drivers? Various hot laps, but nothing compared to Bathurst. It's just it's all about that track, and um, it's the one you can see why it's such a special event, and the crowd, and the you know. So we'll we'll stay at a house in Bathurst, and you can hear the noise from the mountain and the town. You know, it's not a big town. It's Mount Panorama. So Mount Panorama's yep where the track is, but Bathurst itself is probably five ten minutes down the road and, and you can hear it you can hear all the fireworks overnight you can see it so we'll sometimes just sit in the back garden watching you watch you know flame it's calmed down a bit recently they put some limits on how much beer they could take up and things like that but um it's pretty action-packed yeah i remember the first time i did it and just thought this is incredible i've even been when there's been no race to do some media work and it still feels special even then so you're doing the planning, the agenda for that day, for that what happens on track, on off the track. 
Yeah, basically covering everything that happens, doing the program for the next event. So there's always stuff to do, interviews, features and things. Um, as we're speaking now, I have to call Mark Winterbottom tomorrow to speak to him to do an interview for a magazine for one of the programs. So it's, um yeah, it, it's fun. I get to know all the drivers and teams and, and things and um, definitely an interesting job. And what about all the support races? Do you get involved in those in the event? Occasionally, yeah, and we'll sort of, you know, preview them in the program and things but it's really all about supercars and the main event and um yeah it's been fun it's i've seen you know the series grow and will it continue to grow i'm not sure i I think the loss of holden ford's a big blow i think the big question now is do the holden fans get behind the camaro because holden isn't going to exist the brand name doesn't exist so it's it's a big question mark at the moment um I think, you know, the Mustang Camaro have a strong enough sort of pull, but it's a case of it's just a changing landscape. You know, you don't have those connections. And and think, where's the Camaro dealer? Exactly. I can't on a Monday go and – I can go buy one, but where's the actual Camaro dealer, the brand of Camaro? I mean, the Ford Mustang's a bit different. You can go to the Ford dealer Mm. and you're going to buy a Mustang, right? There's still Ford dealers around. But, you know, we haven't seen Camaro dealers yet in our state. And the problem is if you look at the Mustang supercar, it doesn't really look like the road car. So when they're introducing the Camaro from next year, they've realised that it looked too much like a race car that didn't look like the road car. So they're actually changing it back a bit to, you know, lower profile, sort of less downforce and things. So they're going to, the Camaro and Mustang from 2022, which they're calling uh, Gen 3, is actually going to look more like a road going car, which is what you want. And it needs to do that. Otherwise, you know, it's not the same car. No. Well, inverted commas, it's not the same car you're buying on the Sunday. Exactly. They look very stretched out. It looks too, you know, it's out of proportion. So in your history, in your, you know, um, expertise, what's your future? What do you think is going to happen in the future with these? With it, will it die out? Will these races of V8 supercars die out? Or do you I think, think it'll wane in popularity. I think what they need to do is simplify it, take it a bit back. So it's more like the old days where it is, you know, a hotted up car with all the safety features that you need nowadays. But they do need to take it, take it back. I think it got too expensive. It got too specialised. You know, you need to open up to other engines and other car shapes and things, which is what they're trying to do. But what you're going to see now is you're not going to get the manufacturers come in like they have before because, you know, manufacturers are struggling to exist as it is, let alone spending money on Australian motorsport. So they need to get it to the point where if you're a, a Brad Jones or one of the team owners that you can you know buy something off the shelf, you can get a manufacturer will let me use the intellectual property of a certain car shape and you, you know, go off and build it and race it. I think, you know, that's a good point that you raise because the early days, you know, going back to the Ford and Holden, I mean, the reason why these classic cars are so popular now, you know, the Valiant Charger, the RTs, the Ford GTHO, the Phase 3, the John Goss Special, you know, the reason these are so popular is because of those eras. Yeah, because they want it You know, the Monaros, you know, so everyone relates to that, whereas... You know, you take a, a modern Commodore in the supercars, you know, a VT Commodore, you know, okay, mm. or whatever. It's not the same. No. And it's not iconic. It doesn't look different than yeah. any other car. Well, the Commodore they're racing at the moment, the ZB, it's not Australian built. It's not Australian designed. It's just not. It shouldn't be called a Commodore. That's right. I agree with you. I don't think it should have been called a Commodore. Mm. And that's why, you know, it's hard then for fans to get excited about that. And um, and you can't why, go and buy one. Yeah, 
Yeah. That, that, the ultimate, you actually can't go buy one and drive and think, you know, I am, you know. Well, I'm, and I'm that's why Peter, Peter Brock. Peter Brock. Yeah. Correct. And that's why in 2021, there's not going to be much Holden branding because it's not going to exist. It's, you Doesn't know, mean it, anything it's dead. Anymore. So it, that's the, that's the real sort of sad thing in all this is that sort of, you know, as a country, we've killed off the automotive industry and supercars is, you know, having to adjust and, you know, adapt because of that. You know what I'd like to see? These cars, these you know, cars that we can't buy now. Imagine them driving to the track on the road and then testing it. In the, there'll be a few speeding uh, fines. That's, that's right, testing it and saying, "Well, I've got well, to get up to speed." You quickly. had a story about someone with speeding fines. He used yeah, to prepare you know, himself. Some of the old drivers would bring posters and things in the cars to give to police and stuff when they got pulled over because it just just sort of common occurrence. But nowadays. Forget it, you know. So, yeah. sorry, going back to that story, can you name names or? Uh, probably, probably not because they're still alive. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, I like that idea, Mick. I think we need our posters in the back of our car if we get pulled over and just give a Mick and Ori's poster or a cap <laughs> to the policeman. Yeah, there you it's, go. It, I'm not sure that will help. Totally different era and that's what's incredible when you look at supercars, what they've become today. It is like a mini Formula One. But I really didn't realise that the guys were driving their car to the track and then racing. That's yeah, shocking. yeah. It's I mean, incredible. that's that's amazing. I mean, you have heard of it overseas and that, but I really did not think so. Yeah. You know, the Phase Three Ford or the Holden Monaro Four Twenty Seven, whatever, whatever it is, and the Valiant RT, they'll drive them there. Yeah, they they would do the race and hopefully drive home. Yeah, as long as you've got a license plate and it's registered. Yeah, and that's you know, it's said totally different era. Now. They really were production touring cars back then. Now they're just you know, specialized. Like the, if you look at a supercar, the Ford Mustang and the Holden Commodore, the chassis underneath is exactly the same. That's right. It's a kit car, so it, it's got nothing, you know, in comparison to the actual road cars that they're trying to sell, which makes it, you know, where's the relevance? Yeah. That. So the, you know, you used to have you know the Holden and Ford rivalry that you know the guys would say, well, hang on, my car's better. It won the Bathurst. It yeah. won this. Hang on, it's completely different. Yeah, absolutely, that. and that's why, you know, you think of, you know, if you think of the modern drivers, it's hard for you to pinpoint who they drive for, whereas back then you knew, and that was, you know, Moffat, Brock, Dick Johnson, you know. That's so true. That chop and change now, i got no idea. Well, didn't true. Brock change to Ford Brock for a year? Yeah. He drove a Ford, and he drove a BMW one season. Um, that's right, I remember the BMW. Yeah. There you go. So it's... um, it, But he it, was it, always a holder, man. Exactly, it didn't feel didn't matter. right. Didn't feel right. Yeah, and, and it was just meant more when they won Bathurst. It meant more to the manufacturer and it sort of meant more. And, you know, you look at, you know, this season will be the last with the Commodore. I actually just wrote a feature on, you know, how the Commodore came about in 1980. You know, Brock goes out, wins the championship, wins Bathurst. What a way to debut a new sedan if you're, you know, Holden. And that's what was so good about it. It just put, you know, it put the name up in lights right away. Mind you, it's in saying that that was the Commodore that was actually a quite small compared yeah. to yeah. So the Ford of that period, that which is the XD X, you know, they were actually selling more than the Commodore. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it was you know real rivalry. It was when um, Holden replaced the Tirana with a Commodore, it became more parallel with the Falcon. They looked similar. They were sort of similar. They became a similar size, and that's when the rivalry really took off. Back before then. You look at the Tirana, the little Tirana racing this big Falcon. The Falcon would, you know, you know the have the straights with the with the engine, and then the Tirana would come back in the corners, and 
that's what made the racing so exciting because it was just so different based on the track you know the cars the drivers it was just um so many different variables whereas now these you know a few tenths of a second separate the whole grid but you know it's hard to pass it's it's just yeah well back then you know some cars were better in some parts of the circuit like you're saying and same with formula one people are saying hang on there's not enough passing they want to see passing there was one year in bathurst in the 60s that the mini cooper you know filled i think was the top seven or nine positions because it just you know it came along and it was so nimble it was perfectly suited for the track and it i think it's it still holds the record for the best performance by manufacturer in the bathurst 1000 is by mini cooper unreal yeah so you've gone back you've had a look as part of your job some of the old races if, what is a standout? What is one one memory that you can take out of the V8s the, or Bathurst or any, you know, supercar championship? What is that one memory I think um, I remember, I always remember, um, I've had a bit to do with Dick Johnson, you know, interviewed him over the years and gone to the factory and things. And you just hear that his stories with Peter Brock and it's just a different era and the Commodore Falcon battles and the battles they had and, you know, and... and they raced here at the Adelaide Grand Prix and support races and things. And that was just a different era. And it, it, as I said, it meant more and it felt like it was more sort of um, bigger, if you like. And uh, I think that that was definitely a highlight. You know, it's a bit before my time, but, you know, some of the races I've seen have been pretty amazing. I've, I've been lucky. I went to Austin, Texas when they went to their race there in 2013. We went for the weekend and things and it's been it's been good fun and obviously the Adelaide 500 was always good it was a link back to the Adelaide Grand Prix so yeah lots of memories and it's been good to see but you know it's it was a different era back then now it's very professional and I see that in my day job you know I I treat the drivers as if they were like Formula 1 drivers you know I have to organize interviews organize times and it's um it's definitely you know pretty professional series yeah it's uh, you know as as it progresses it gets more and more money orientated, mm. I suppose, and and you do lose that that passion maybe on some of the things, the variety, and the enthusiasm. I suppose you know wanes a bit. Yeah, absolutely, and you see that I think in the modern supercar era, and I think we've seen it with the Adelaide Five Hundred. You know, in the early years, it was still a bit sort of unprofessional. You know, some of the drivers would just sort of turn up for certain rounds and things. Now it's like you know, you've got your twenty-four cars; they're all signed up for the year, big sponsors, um, and it's just it's changed so much. So I love that. Imagine, where's me? No, oh, he's not coming this week. He'll be here next week. He's, yeah, you know, you know, like um, my my favorite two of the my favorite priorities are Reed and Ashby in the Lansdale cars and they'd change, you know, do the season, just swap between them. They owned a sort of crash repairer in Sydney and, um, yeah, but, you know, I'll do this round, you do the next one and then, you know, we'll go from there. And, <laughs> Couldn't and then, do that now. And then at Bathurst I'd combine and race together and they did that for years and, and that's just, you know, you don't see that sort of stuff now. So we could have done that, Mick. Yeah. All right, we'll go the Mick and Ori car. Yeah, uh, classic um, Peter Jansen who was a Melbourne socialite you know, he raced at Bathurst. He finished on the podium at Bathurst. He used to have, you know, he's still still alive, living in Melbourne, you know, have these big social parties and things, and um, he was an amateur racer, yeah. But you could back then. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing, changed, you know, yeah. whereas now it's so professional that everything's measured to a T. Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've got to be, you know, one of the elite professional drivers to make the grid at Bathurst, whereas back then, you know, 40, 50 cars would turn up and you'd, you know, roll around. As long as you finished, it was a good day. Adrian, you'd have access to some great old photos, I would have thought, 
of these old classic cars. Hopefully, we can put some up on our Instagram page to show you some of our. Yeah, listeners. absolutely. Some of the you know the the photos of the Tiranas against the Falcons and things, yeah, just but- you know, amazing. And um, the variety was the thing that made it. And that's why Adrian. We've got Mick and Ori's classic cars. We just love, love the classic cars. What you've talked about is the cars, you know, don't hold the road that well. You know, they do all sorts of things. You know, they were too pow- they're too powerful yeah. for the road, so they tried to, you know, change that a bit. Um, but that's why we like the old, older cars, the classic cars, the modern classic, because you're doing more. Yeah, it's funny as well. I think what's been lost in motorsport is the unreliability of the cars. Because back then, Bathurst was a survival. If you won Bathurst, it means the car survived and you survived. Endurance. Endurance, You'd have retirements. Whereas nowadays, it's sort of you're racing to get in a good position for the last hour and then it becomes a sprint race. Whereas back then, you'd, you know... Dick Johnson crashing into a rock, or yeah, that's that's you know, <laughs> just things like that. You know, you'd never see that nowadays. But um, it was all about survival. So when you think of Peter Brock winning nine Bathurst, it means you know the, the Holdens they put it together. You know, yeah, that car just that's why that's why Holden sold, sold so well. Yeah, absolutely. Because people knew they were reliable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, oh, fantastic, Adrian. Great to have you on the show again, and uh, Thanks, well, hopefully the supercars keep keep going in one form or the other because we do love our motor racing and uh, motorsport. Looking forward to see the Camaros versus Mustangs. I must. They'll be interesting, but we'll see what the, that holds for us. Yeah, and at least we've got the Ben now. And yeah, the Ben Motorsport Park. It's important that we've got that because if it wasn't for that, with the loss of the LA 500, we probably wouldn't have a round. So it's um it's a good thing that track came along when it did. Yeah, I think you know we can say the Shahins that brought that track to uh, Adelaide or made you know basically built that track, which is a fantastic thing to do. And they do. We've we've done the track a few times, Ori, both as spectators and and drivers, I suppose. Uh, but it is it is great, and he gets a lot of events there. Uh, and a lot of a lot of variety as well. Yeah, we're lucky to have it. Yeah, Adrian, thanks again. Ori, thanks, we're going to leave it there. Thanks, Adrian. And uh, like always, you can catch us on the show with Mick and Ori at gmail.com or we'll have the Instagram. All right. So um, remember, if your car's not a classic, it will be one day. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs>